Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Well now, it's November the 15th, 2021. This is episode 503 of Bitcoin and I owe you guys an an explanation. And I'm not going to get off into the weeds of it, all right? Uh, But I had to let go of something that I thought was going to be cool, but wasn't cool. Uh, That's all I'm going to say about it. However, well, okay, I'll continue just a little bit. Um, During the time that I had to figure out that I had to let it go, and it's not, has nothing to do with family, okay? In case you're like, oh my God, he got a divorce. No, 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 no. That ain't it. Uh, During the time that I had to figure this out, uh, there was no way that I could wrap my head around getting in front of a mic and putting together a show uh, because it was pretty brutal. All right. Uh, I'm okay. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. I just got into something that I didn't really realize what the hell it was that I was getting into. And I punched out. I called the ball. And I said, no, I'm not doing this. I, I got to go. So, you know, <laughs> that's that's why I haven't been around for a while. But I'm back, okay? And I'm going to try to do this, uh, uh, do this without any further interruptions because, you know, I didn't even, you know, I just felt, I felt bad, honestly, for not giving you guys a show and people are like, still listening to the old shows. I'm like looking at the metrics going, my God, why are, why are my numbers not tanking? I have no idea why my numbers were not tanking, but they not only were they not tanking, they were actually increasing and I hadn't put out a show in over a week. I'm not even going to ask questions on that one, but so I'm okay. You're okay. Taproot is activated. And we're going to do 503 of Bitcoin and let's start with Coindesk uh, or actually, no, let's not start with Coindesk. Let's start with ShockNet at ShockBTC on Twitter. That is at ShockBTC. We're excited to announce lightning.video. Upload content or get a live streaming key to our fast global CDN with sats. Share the link everywhere and anywhere. Paywall, tips, and paid comment features to earn Bitcoin instantly. No fiat, no accounts, no ads, no bullshit. What is lightning.video? If you haven't seen it yet, and you, a lot of y'all probably have, because this was actually something I was going to give back on November the 4th. This is how long this bullshit has been dragging out, right? On November the 4th, and no, uh, I didn't do it because that's apparently how long it's been since I've given you guys a show. And again, my apologies, but lightning.video, let's go and check it out and see what's going on here. Um, it appears to be uh, kind of like a YouTube and Twitch 
kind of all in one, except that you can pay with Lightning Network, right? Uh, and in fact, on this particular, in this particular tweet, uh, they have a link to a video of a guy cooking a steak. And when you click the link to the video, it comes up with, ta-da, a QR code. And it's a Lightning QR code. And you pull out your blue wallet, or I think I, I, think I used Wallet of Satoshi on this one. And I paid 210 sats and the video unlocked. And it was amazing. It was a, you know, great, this guy's cooking a steak on a grill. He talks about how, you know, when to flip it, how to get good grill marks if you're, if you're not cooking on cast iron like I do. Um, and it was, it was amazing and it was almost flawless. Now there, there are some reports of some problems, but hey, guys, you know, lightning.video is brand new. You, I don't understand why people think, oh, you've released this product. Oh, it's got a few bugs. Therefore, Lightning and Bitcoin are failed. I, 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 don't, un, I, I don't get it. I'm never going to understand it, but just give them some time to work out their kinks and their bugs. But again, if you want to go uh, check it out, check out at shockbtc, all one word on Twitter, and then go to lightning.video. That's lightning.video and go check it out. It's, you know, the it's not exactly fully functional, right? There's, they're still building it out, but give them a break, give them a hand, test it out. If if you find any bugs, make sure that you, you tell the guys over at lightning video, I guess it's I, you know, in shock, uh, shock BTC, uh, and you know, let them know what you found, help them, help a brother out, help a brother out. All right. On to the news marathon digital is raising $500 million in convertible notes to purchase Bitcoin and Bitcoin miners. Hmm, convertible notes. That sounds really familiar. That sounds like something out of a Michael Saylor playbook. Let's get into it today. Oh, by the way, Alex McShane is writing it. Today, Marathon Digital Holdings, one of the largest publicly traded Bitcoin miners in North America, announced a proposed convertible senior note offering. The firm plans to offer $500 million in aggregate principal of convertible senior notes due in 2026. Marathon intends to use the net proceeds from the offering to acquire more Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining equipment, taking a play right out of Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy playbook. The pricing, interest, and conversion rates on the Marathon notes have yet to be determined. The private offering will be available to qualified institutional buyers. That means not plebs. So if you were trying, thinking you were going to get in on it, no. We still have so much of the fiat mindset in this space that it's not even funny. And I found that shit out firsthand, which goes right back to what I was talking about at the very head of the show as to why I was gone. Yes, if you think that there is a... Uh, no longer any kind of fiat mentality in the Bitcoin space, man, you are wrong. You are very wrong and you're going to get yourself killed because of it. You have to make the assumption, and I don't know how long we're going to have to do it, but we're going to have to make the assumption that probably for as long as I'm alive, we are going to have to deal with fiat mentalities and fiat bullshit, even deep even in the deepest recesses of the rabbit hole, okay? They seem to have followed us down, so please be aware. And this is an example of that. You can't, you can't participate because you're not a qualified investor, all right? 
that's fiat mindset right there. Anyway, this is because of the Securities Act of 1933 for the whole qualified institutional buyer thing anyway. Uh, Marathon intends to give the initial purchase an option for settlement within a period of 13 days from and including the date of issuance to purchase up to an additional $75 million in principal amounts of notes. The notes will be unsecured obligations of Marathon and will mature on December the 1st, 2026 if they are not repurchased, redeemed, or converted. They will accrue interest payable semi-annually in arrears. Note holders will have the right to convert their notes during specified periods under certain conditions. Marathon will settle conversions in cash, shares of its common stock, or a combination of both. On November the 10th, Marathon beat its third quarter earnings estimates while increasing its mine to Bitcoin 91% over the previous quarter. Holy smokes, Bubba. This announcement comes just days after London-based Bitcoin miner Argo blockchain announced that it has filed to raise up to $57.5 million in senior notes that would be due in November 2026. Argo also stated it might use some of those proceeds from purchasing Bitcoin or for Bitcoin mining equipment. Anyway, so Marathon Digital definitely taking a play out of Michael Saylor's uh, playbook here. So I was right on that one. Uh, it, expect more of this because all of this is, is a speculative attack on the dollar. And they're lever- these guys are leveraging what they've built over, you know, over the years. Well, in MicroStrategy's case over the years, in Marathon's case, a little less. But still, they're leveraging what they have built to be able to speculatively attack the dollar because the dollar is in free fall in terms of inflation. And I know that there's people out there that say inflation is just, that that's not what we should be worried about. I, I can't do anything but disagree. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. No, I did not get an economics degree, which is probably why I can think at least fairly fucking clearly in today's world. Coindesk's Alyssa Hertig is going to tell us about Taproot, a Bitcoin's long-anticipated upgrade, because, you know, bitches, it activated this weekend. At it specifically, it activated at 5:15 UTC, which is uh, just after 12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, November the 14th. Taproot, the long-anticipated Bitcoin upgrade, activated at block 709632, opening the door for developers to integrate new features that will improve privacy, scalability, and security on the network. The upgrade locked in back in June when over 90% of miners chose to signal their support. A programmed waiting period between lock-in and activation has since given node operators and miners time to fully upgrade to the latest version of Bitcoin Core 21.1, which contains the merge code for Taproot. Only once they do so will they be able to enforce the new rules, making it possible to use the new type of transaction available. Taproot is a melting pot of various technical innovations throughout Bitcoin's history into one upgrade. It was first proposed by Greg Maxwell in 2018, and since then, the three Bitcoin improvement proposals that codified Taproot were written by Peter Woola, Tim Ruffing, AJ Towns, and Jonas Nick, and merged into Bitcoin Core in October 2020. At the root of the upgrade are Schnorr signatures. Bitcoin has been using cryptographic scheme ECDSA for its digital signatures where a user signs a transaction with their private key in order to approve sending it to somewhere else. 
Taproot upgrades to a different scheme called Schnorr. Every transaction using Taproot will now use this new digital signature scheme, adding new capabilities designed to boost the privacy, security, and scale of Bitcoin transactions. I'm going to hold, hold up on that. Hold up on that one. Every transaction using Taproot will now. Okay, okay, that's fine. What what threw me for a loop is I just for some reason got it in my head that it was every transaction will use Taproot. No, 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 no. Be be calm if you're worried about the Taproot upgrade. All right, be calm. Why? Because it's a soft fork. What does that mean? It means it's not going to affect anything in the legacy system of Bitcoin. You could have the very, you could literally unfold your very first Bitcoin wallet that you got because you knew what the hell was going to happen way back in 2009. And guess what? You're going to be able to make a Bitcoin transaction. All right. That's just the way it is. The, The addition of Taproot as a soft fork means absolutely nothing to all the stuff that came before. So if you're not on Taproot and you're worried, don't. If for whatever reason you think you've lost all your Bitcoin because of the addition of Taproot, don't. None of that shit is true. It's just the ability to, as we move forward, to be able to make more efficient use of block space because of the way Schnorr signatures work. I'm not gonna get into it. Let's continue with the article. In addition to being smaller and faster than ECDSA, Schnorr signatures have the added benefit of being linear, a combination that will boost Bitcoin's transaction privacy and allow for more lightweight and complex smart contracts, an encoded contract with self-executing rules. Taproot will have many positive repercussions for various projects across the ecosystem. For instance, multi-signature transactions, which require more than one out of a group of signers to sign a transaction, will be cheaper and will use less data. Taproot is part of a larger effort by developers around the world on a mission to improve the privacy of Bitcoin since its transaction history is very public. A curious user can look up any transaction ever sent on Bitcoin using a public block explorer such as mempool.space. This is still the case with Taproot, but details of some more complex transactions, often called smart contracts, will be able to be hidden. For example, While right now Lightning Network transactions stand out on the blockchain, Taproot offers the possibility for them to look just like any other transaction, further enhancing transaction privacy. Another issue Taproot should address in Bitcoin's limited transaction space, which makes scalability a huge problem for the digital currency. Developers can't simply increase this limit without pinging on Bitcoin's decentralization, so they are always looking for ways to make use of the currently available block space for more efficiency. Because Schnorr signatures can be used to combine multiple signatures into one signature, they can help reduce the amount of data stored on the blockchain. This reduction in data size could boost scalability of MuSig2, for example, a multi-signature scheme developed by Blockstream researchers, which requires a number of signatures for one transaction. So far, only a little more than half of known Bitcoin nodes are signaling support for the upgrade. The rest are running old software, which means they will not yet be able to enforce the new rules of Taproot, at least not until they upgrade to Bitcoin Core 21.1. But even so, the network will still run just fine. 
offline. Any miners that have not upgraded to the new software will be unable to successfully mine on the network and they'll miss out on earning any new block rewards, but developers have done a lot to ensure that miners have had adequate opportunity to get up to speed. Indeed, over 90% of miners have already indicated that they plan to upgrade to the new software, which is why Taproot was able to lock in way back in June and why there was a five-month delay before activation kicked in. Activation doesn't mean that all the work is done, however. Users won't be able to send or receive the new type of transactions until their particular Bitcoin wallet supports it. And most wallets don't support it yet. Wallet developers need to write new code for their wallets to make such transactions possible. If history is any guide, it could take months or years for wallets to board the train. It took roughly two years for Bitcoin's last comparably large upgrade, SegWit, to reach 50% adoption, for example. Not to mention, while Taproot offers the possibility of more complicated use cases, such as making a private lightning network transactions that don't look any different from normal transactions, developers will still need to build those tools and implement them separately. The key thing to keep in mind is that Taproot will enable new developments and new solutions. It is giving developers an expanded toolbox to work with as they continue to ideate, iterate, and build. Some of these projects are already in the works. Many have yet to be imagined. So there you go, we got Taproot, and it's gonna take time for that to, like, I don't know, its, its explosion waves to spread out into the ecosystem, but it will. And my thought is that it's not going to take as long as it took SegWit to do last time because so many people caught so much shit for not doing it that I think this time is gonna be different. I also think it's gonna be different because most of the people that were not upgrading to SegWit were the very large companies like Grayscale, uh, what was it, Coinbase, um, and, and Kraken, but they, they were one of the first ones to actually implement SegWit, but still, it took the large, bo the large boys to come along. However, now in the ecosystem, we got a bunch of small fry swimming around a whole bunch of new companies, a whole bunch of new wallets. And we, with the advent of podcasting 2.0, we've got a lot of people that are gonna be very, very, very interested in being able to do this, all right? So I think, I think uh, acceptance and activation in wallet software of Taproot is gonna be a lot better this time, but time, you know, time will tell anyway. So got Taproot, very excited about that. Did it do anything for Bitcoin? I don't know. Why did the Bitcoin price dip from all-time highs? Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule, maybe they'll be able to tell us more about it from Bitcoin Magazine. As published in Wednesday's The Daily Dive, number 96, Bitcoin was up 3.9% in one hour after the consumer price index reading, only to fall again in a series of BTC margin-long liquidations. Total long liquidations for the day were some of the largest liquidations over the last few months, but pale in comparison to the liquidations in March through April earlier this year. Among the most important things to understand about Bitcoin derivatives is, and they're talking about the, the long and short contracts here, about Bitcoin derivatives is the types of collateral that can be used. In Bitcoin derivatives markets, you can either use crypto margin, overwhelmingly BTC, but certain platforms allow various shit coins to be used as collateral, or dollars slash stable coins also as collateral. 
When entering a derivatives contract with Bitcoin as collateral, if you were going long, speculating on the price to rise, then you are left exposed if price declines to both the declining profit and loss, as well as collateral that is declining in value. Thus, Bitcoin margin derivatives are often the culprit in large market drawdowns and liquidation events. Uh, let's get on. Okay. Uh, leading up to yesterday's all-time high, the aggregate futures open interest for Bitcoin market margin spiked in a huge way in BTC terms, which normalizes for dollar volatility, touching 100 and what we 191,000 BTC, which is up from 150,000 BTC range that was seen the first time Bitcoin broke above 65k, showing that traders were aggressively levering up. And let's see, what else? Because they got a lot of charts in here. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. They go through the charts basically explaining the same thing that they just explained. But we had a bunch of liquidated longs, but it still doesn't answer the question, why? You know, what, what, what the hell happened? We know that liquidated longs can definitely trigger what's called a domino effect. And you got one that falls into another, falls into another. And the next thing you know, it's just like, you're just riding the train down to the bottom, bitches. Well, that's what happened this time as well, but what caused it? You know, was it was it Taproot? And I'm starting to wonder if, because Taproot started, you know, we knew the closer that we got to, we knew where exactly what time it was going to be is when we saw more and more liquidations. Now, I don't know if I'm actually correct on that. I, I think I am because I was looking at the charts going, I don't know what the hell's going on. And then we bottomed, Taproot activated, and we started going back up. So I'm wondering if this was sort of a sell the news event. We knew Taproot was gonna activate. Uh, the uh, Taproot started trending on Twitter pretty hardcore over the weekend. Maybe that was it. Is that somehow or another, somebody, you know, a whole bunch of people thought that Bitcoin was going to break when we got Taproot in, not understanding that it was a soft fork and that there was no way that you're gonna be able to break Bitcoin. In either event, we got ourselves a little liquidation. Now it looks like we're into some consolidation a little bit. Again, time will tell if it's actual consolidation. But, you know, we, we've been through this before. Some of us, several, several times. Alex raises 5.8 million to bring DeFi to the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know you're about to yell at me. Hey, you, did you want to know what was going on in Bitcoin? Because this is where you come to find out what the hell's going on in Bitcoin. So this is going on in Bitcoin. Therefore, I'm going to tell you about it. But yeah, we're going to get into stacks. And I know, stop pulling your hair out. You're going to need it later. Brandy Betts tells us more from Coindesk. Alex, a decentralized finance protocol built on the Bitcoin-linked Stacks blockchain has raised $5.8 million in financing led by White Star Capital. The funds will help drive the protocol launch in December and expand the developer and user experience teams. Alex aims to be a one-stop DeFi platform that allows for fixed rate and fixed term Bitcoin lending and borrowing. The protocol also supports tokens, launches, and uh, decentralized exchanges, both automated market makers and off-chain order books. Alex was co-founded by Chiente Su and Rachel Yu. Both have backgrounds in developing quantitative strategies for Wall Street banks, such as Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. Sue serves as Alex's CEO. Remember what I was telling you about the fiat mindset following us down the rabbit hole? 
Well, yeah, that's this is what I'm talking about. The fiat mindset is definitely tagging along. So uh, turn around and beat that son of a bitch off. Oh, that doesn't sound good, does it? Oh, well. <laughs> uh, the tradition quote, the traditional financial system is orchestrated in a way that hinders people who don't have access to everyday financial tools, Sue said in a press release. We believe that crypto can streamline many financial processes and this funding will allow us to create new opportunities for women and other marginalized groups. In an interview with Coindesk, Sue provided two personal examples of the limitations of traditional financial institutions. The first involved sending money to her mother-in-law in Senegal, a check that was to be distributed to a number of family members. Western Union fees took a chunk of the money, which could have instead, you know, gone to the families. The second involved Sue's 14-year-old daughter who wanted a debit card and had to undergo a 45-minute interview with a major bank despite her parents having ample collateral. Her daughter then asked Sue to set up a crypto wallet on her behalf. Quote, we want to build this financial service protocol for the unbanked and banked that's truly permissionless and trustless. There is no barrier to entry to using this service, Sue told Coindesk. All right, well, I'm going to give Sue a little bit of a break because of the whole you know, having to have her 14-year-old daughter grilled by a fucking bank executive in a suit. Do you think that dude went home thinking he was proud of doing that? You think, do you think he, that guy actually went home saying, man, I was, I was in it for humanity today. I made sure a 14-year-old wasn't gonna, I don't know, traffic children and sell drugs and launder money because apparently that's what humans do and have done since we fell out of the fucking trees, right? That's apparently what we're all about. Money laundering, terrorism financing, and all the other bullshit that they don't like. Just so sick of the clown world. But still, it is kind of cool that she got set up with a wallet, you know, a Bitcoin wallet immediately. And this is a discussion that I've had with my daughter and my son when I try to tell them that if I were to walk them down to the bank and just send them off to talk to a banker and ask the question, can I open a bank account? And then I describe to them what's going to happen after that, which is no. <laughs> well, actually, I guess it's two things. How old are you? Are you 18 or, you know, and above? No. Well, then not without your parents' permission. And then I would look at my daughter and my son and say, do you think you need my permission for you to be able to have and hold your own money? And they just look at me and they go, no. And I'm like, see, you're a sensible couple of kids. Because there's a lot of people out there that would say, well, yeah, it just seems sensible to me. And they're like, no, it's my property. It's my allowance. I did work for it. You gave me money. That was the trade we made. There's no reason for you to have any say in what I do with my money or how I hold it or where I hold it. And thank thank God, I'm really, really happy that, that, they, that I'm... I think I'm doing the right thing by getting them, you know, illustrating to them just how this bullshit works because I want them to not even have to escape it. I want them to be born outside of it. It's, the whole thing is just sick. And, you know, if they have their own money in their own Bitcoin wallet and possibly a Lightning Network wallet, they can, I don't know, maybe go see a movie because AMC Theaters now accepts Bitcoin for payment. Uh, this is Bitcoin Magazine's Alex McShane. Adam Aaron, CEO of AMC Theaters, announced via Twitter on the evening of November the 11th that the chain now accepts Bitcoin for online payments. 
The announcement follows through on a promise made in a shareholder call back in August of 2021 in which Chairman and Adam, or sorry, sorry, Chairman and CEO Adam Aaron said that the company best known for operating nearly 1,000 movie theaters around the globe would accept Bitcoin for tickets and concessions ordered online. Now, at the time, Aaron added that this theater chain with 593 U.S. theaters and 335 international locations, which has become a darling of retail investors in 2021, was also exploring how else AMC can participate in this new burgeoning cryptocurrency universe. Indeed, AMC Theaters now accepts other forms of cryptocurrency for payment, as well as Apple Pay, Google Pay, and PayPal. On Thursday, AMC joined an increasing number of mainstream companies now participating in the Bitcoin economy, including Square, MicroStrategy, and Tesla, all of which have bought and now hold Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset. It is unclear whether and to what extent AMC plans to hold any Bitcoin in reserve. While accepting cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin for payment may be viewed as a negative to some Bitcoin maximalists, it is surely better for mainstream adoption than companies that are opting not to accept Bitcoin at all. Time will tell whether AMC's theater's uh, Bitcoin strategy strengthens its proportion to its understanding and experience handling Bitcoin. Yes, they are actually taking uh, Bitcoin and it looks to me to be four other shit coins. Or actually, I shouldn't say other shit coins. There's Bitcoin and then there's shit coins. They're taking Bitcoin and four full-on shit coins. I'm not even going to mention the name because it's not actually even worth it. Why? Because all the shit coins are in DeFi. I know. We read the DeFi on, on stacks on Bitcoin. Let's just get into the traditional DeFi where they get hacked because DeFi lender BZX suffers a hack for a reported $55 million. James Rubin tells us more from Coindesk. Decentralized finance lender BZX suffered a hack of $55 million, according to a tweet on Friday by the blockchain security firm Slowmist. Uh, BZX private key compromised, over $55 million stolen so far, will continue to update as more information is discovered, Slow mistweeted. BZX responded in a tweet that a private key controlling the protocol's deployment on Polygon and Binance Smart, Smart Chain was compromised, but that its smart contracts were not. The protocol added that about 25% of the stolen amount was personal losses from the team wallet that was compromised and that the incident is still under investigation. BZX suffered three hacks last year. Let me repeat that, ladies and gentlemen. They suffered three hacks last year. This is the fourth hack. Although it was able to recover $8 million in cryptocurrency from the third and largest of these hacks, which occurred in September, the two other hacks for $630,000 and $350,000 respectively occurred back in February. So there you go. I mean, another yet another DeFi hack. However, this one was not flash loan based, which I find odd because they're all they're all always flash loan based. No, this one this one was actually even worse because it's a private key compromisation, which is in way down in the guts of the protocol. Right, that's down in the guts of the protocol. A flash loan attack isn't the guts of the protocol as much as exploiting certain amounts of game theory that make you know that well. What makes DeFi work, or and I, when I say work, it's in air quotes, okay? What makes DeFi work is the exact same thing that people use to game theory flash loan attacks to be able to compromise the system. But a private key compromisation or a private key being compromised 
That's way down deep, which tells me that BZX from the ground up is unsecure. You know, it's always had to de deal with flash loan attacks, but this one is is in the base layer, man. That shit ain't good. Fuck them. Let's run the numbers. It would appear that since I've been away, flammable liquids have been under attack. And indeed, we've got a decrease of one and a half points on West Texas Intermediate down under 80 bucks to 79.56. Brent North Sea seeing a likewise shellacking 1.59% to the downside, $80.83. Natural gas is going up today 1.63% to $4.86, but well off of its highs of just under $6, dude. Uh, and then gasoline has fallen 1.6%, $2.27 per gallon, giving the people on the West and East Coast a little bit of a break, I suppose. Gold, however, is holding above $1,800, even with a quarter percent drop, 1864 bucks. Silver is down a full point, $25. Platinum is up a half point. Copper is down a third of a point. And palladium, woo, rocking it, 1.48% to the upside. Agricultural futures are mixed, and the clear winner today is coffee at 2.1% to the upside. The biggest loser today is corn, 1.17% to the downside. Uh, all the uh, future or all the, uh, the indices or uh, the major indices are going to be up today, 0.22% up for Dow. S&P is up 0.07, NASDAQ down 0.15, S&P mini is up 0.36. So, you know, there was a whole bunch of breaking news that I saw earlier when I was setting this up that said that stocks were roaring, but apparently not roaring as much as we were led to believe. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Anyway, real money has Bitcoin at $64,643. 260,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. That's 10,800 transactions per hour. 379,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hour period is about 15,800 BTC on average per hour. 1.46 BTC is the average transaction value and the median transaction value is 0 0.098, which is $63, or sorry, $633. Block times are fairly low, nine minutes and seven seconds. 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 11 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Woo, with a 0.15% drop in hash rate, we are at 172.4 exahashes per second. I, I can safely say that the whole China thing is completely 100% over and we've consolidated right around all time hash rate highs before the whole China FUD. So screw you, China. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is at 25 cents. Actually, 25.8 cents or 25.8 US pennies, depending on how you want to look at it. 2,140 transactions in the mempool waiting on two blocks to clear. We have a $1.22 trillion market cap, which is just a hair under 10 full percent of gold's entire market cap. 
And if you would like to actually trade one Bitcoin for shiny metal rocks, you can get 34.6 ounces of them. There are 18,873,979 BTC in circulation at this time. 3,221.16 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at just over $200 million being run over 17,587 nodes with just under 80,000 payment channels that we can see. Now, 74.3% of all of that shit is being run over the Tor network, uh, representing 10,909 nodes, and Clark Moody has a price of Bitcoin at 64,550. That's gonna do it for Vitals. All right, welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Some will say that the decrease in the price of, of BTC over the weekend was due to some VanEck ETF uh, chicanery going on with the SEC. Maybe Helen Parts can tell us all about it from Cointelegraph. VanEck Bitcoin Futures ETF to launch on the CBOE November the 16th. Van Eck, one of the first United States-based asset managers to file for a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, is finally launching its Bitcoin futures ETF. According to an official notice by the Chicago Board Options Exchange, or CBOE, VanEck's Bitcoin strategy ETF will start trading on CB, CBOE under the tickle, ticker symbol XBTF on Tuesday. That's tomorrow, people. VanEck's new ETF is joining the growing number of BTC futures-based ETFs launched in the U.S., including the ProShares of Bitcoin Strategy ETF, which became the first Bitcoin futures ETF to start trading on the New York Stock Exchange back on October the 19th. Valkyrie's Bitcoin Strategy ETF started trading on NASDAQ under the BTF ticker in late October. CBOE's listing of XBTF comes just a couple of days after the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, and here it is, officially rejected VanEck's spot Bitcoin ETF application. The SEC argued that the proposed rule change to the list of the ETF did not meet standards to prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices or protect investors and the public interest. Let me pause. How in the fuck is it better to have a derivative of BTC that just merely tracks its price and is itself nothing but paper somehow more safe than being able to actually hold BTC. Can somebody come up with that for me, please? Because it is much easier to manipulate a stack of paper than it is an open, openly viewable Bitcoin address that holds a certain amount of BTC in it that you could, if you so chose, make completely viewable to the public at all times. Can somebody please tell me the logic behind this? It has been theorized that the SEC is being told not to open a spot BTC ETF because the price will go to millions of dollars a coin almost immediately. That's the theory that I hear. Do I believe it 100%? No, I don't think it would be like millions of dollars of coin almost instantly, but I think it would really rack, rack the markets. And yes, within a couple of months, I think you might be able to see a million dollar BTC coin because at this point, you got to get the asset. You actually have to buy it. And there's going to be a lot of people who are like, I'm not letting it go at, at like 
the price at which I might let it go, by that time, I'm going to trade for the property directly in BTC and I'm not going to go through the, the rigmarole of exchanging it into fiat. Because by that time, there's gonna be so many people taking BTC directly for goods and services that why would you need to go back into fiat? I can just go buy a ranch with like, you know, 0.1 BTC and that's the way that I would do it. You're gonna find a whole shitload of people that will try to enter at any price. And that's why there's this theory that the spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States is not being allowed because it would just crush the fiat markets. I don't know. Let's continue. <clears throat> Launched back in 1955, Van Eck is a U.S. asset manager specializing in thematic and gold-based ETFs and mutual funds. Van Eck is known in the crypto community as one of the first firms to ever file for a Bitcoin futures ETF. The firm submitted multiple BTC ETF filings with the SEC since then, but has only managed to get its futures ETF approved to date. Van Eck did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, SEC Chair Gary Gensler previously hinted that the SEC would be more open to accepting ETFs based on cryptocurrency futures rather than through direct exposure. However, some companies such as Bitwise Asset Management remain bullish on the potential pure Bitcoin ETF when the firm even decide, sorry, with the firm even deciding to drop its futures ETF filing last week. Quote, ultimately, what many investors want is a spot Bitcoin ETF, and we think that's possible. So Bitwise will continue to pursue that goal, and we will look for other ways to help investors get access to the incredible opportunities in crypto, Bitwise Chief Investment Officer Matt Hogan said, or Hogan, H-O-U-G-A-N. You pronounce, I'll decide. Let's move on. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Why did I screw this up? Hold on. All right, let's try this again. I had a duplicate... Uh, uh, I had a duplicate uh, news story in there, so it kind of threw me for a loop. Sorry about that. As Patreon tests the waters, can crypto open doors for content creators? Hmm, Cointelegraph, Shiraz Jigadi has it. As the digital asset market continues to break new ground seemingly with each passing day, there's no denying the fact that crypto adoption has continued to increase at a fairly rapid pace globally. In this regard, it now appears as though online content creator platform Patreon is actively looking to devise its very own social token, or creator coin, as it likes to call it, as a way of diving into the new world of cryptocurrencies. God, just use fucking Bitcoin and Lightning. My God, how difficult is it? Patreon executives recently teased the idea at the 2021 Creator Economy Summit with CEO Jack Conte making an appearance alongside Chief Product Officer Julian Gutman. During the event, the two interacted with the audience at length, and when asked about their decision to venture into the digital asset space, Conte replied by saying, quote, I really love the idea of creators owning their media and owning their content. No, you don't. I love the idea of shifting power away from institutions and towards individual creative people. No, you don't. Even though Patreon doesn't have a full-time crypto-focused team at the moment, Gutman said he is actively looking to ensure that his company doesn't get left behind and is, therefore, considering creating a roster of high-quality blockchain talent in the near term. Quote, we're continuing to ensure we're creating a sustainable recurring future for creators, which is why we're evaluating the crypto space more broadly, he added. 
It is worth mentioning that Conte's statements came just a month after the firm had released a feedback form asking clients whether they would be interested in the prospect of a creator coin and or a social token. To get a better overview of whether Patreon's move will help content creators expand their monetary horizons in any sort of real tangible manner, Cointelegraph reached out to Michael Gu, founder of Box Mining, a cryptocurrency-focused YouTube channel with over 250,000 subscribers, and he told Cointelegraph, quote, absolutely, because I'm a shitcoiner, not only does it provide an additional source of revenue, but it also provides additional ways for creators to engage their community. In fact, there will soon be a situation where if a platform doesn't adopt crypto content, they risk losing their existing creators to platforms that do provide crypto adoption, end quote. Cryptocito, a prominent crypto YouTuber, is like-minded and believes that Patreon's move is great for the industry as it really highlights the many real-world use cases that digital assets have to offer. I can't do this anymore. This is just making me kind of sick. I think, honestly, I think that that's all we really, really need to do on that particular story because it's just going right down the rabbit hole of, well, actually the, the sewer line. It's traveling, not the rabbit hole, but the sewer line of, of shit coinery. So, you know, again, it, we have the fiat mindset that is following us into the rabbit hole. And I, I saw it firsthand over the last few months like, I mean, up close and fucking personal. Like if you thought we were by ourselves in the rabbit hole and it's just a bunch of Bitcoiners singing Kumbaya and we're, you know, having fun down here and we're going to change the world and, and, and none of the assholes followed us into the rabbit hole, you are mistaken. You need to start looking around you and realize that when you see this person that you know has a fiat mindset, where are they? Are they with you in the rabbit hole? Or do you think you're in the rabbit hole and they're still, still outside? Because if you, think, if you answered the latter, you're wrong. They're here with us. They're here with us right now. And you've got to identify them. And you can either call them out for their bullshit or you can just stop interacting with them. I, I me myself, I just prefer to stop interacting with them. When I finally figure something out and say, oh, this dude is going to just end up being a shit coiner. I just stop talking to them. I won't boost their tweets. I don't respond to them in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I just let them go and they can go on and, and do their own thing. But just be careful. These people are with us. They have followed us into the rabbit hole. And if we are not very terribly careful, they will start decorating the rabbit hole. And the time, by the time we look around, there's going to be Klaus Schwab on some fucking podium down there telling us how we suck because climate change. Okay. Mark my words. If we don't pr protect the space, it's going to be, it's going to be destroyed. It will be destroyed. So India's prime minister holds crypto meeting and urges a ban on misleading ads. India, for those of you who do not know, flip-flops all the time on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all the, the entire space. So I, when <clears throat> the last bit of news that I read you guys out of India was that we didn't have to worry about it anymore. That's what the story was saying, but I was saying different. Do not become complacent. Okay, just as we got to protect down underground in the rabbit hole, we got to poke our heads out every once in a while and figure out what the hell's going on over here. So here it is. It looks like India may be signaling another flip-flop. Let's find out. 
this is being written from, this is out of the Bitcoinist and I don't know who the author is. It, oh wait, oh, Tolu Okuwaga. I know I butchered the name, I'm sorry. Narendra Modi or Narendra, Narendra Modi, whatever. Modi, the prime minister of India on Saturday chaired a meeting on crypto in India. Yes, of course, during the meeting, the officials present agreed that some crypto platforms are misleading the youth of the country and that there is a need to stop non-transparent advertisements. Let me pause. Why did they kill Plato? Or was it, was it Plato? I think it was Plato that got, got killed. No, Socrates. Socrates was forced to eat hemlock or drink a hemlock tea and kill himself because of the corruption of the youth. Even back in ancient Greece, corruption of the youth. It's coming back big, big time, big, big, big time. The meeting come days after Reserve Bank of India, Governor, I cannot pronounce the name, Governor Da sounded an alarm on cryptocurrencies. He also cautioned investors on the potential pitfalls. He said the crypto market was a cause for concern to the macroeconomic and financial stability of the country's economy. Well, that just sounds like you got a really fragile economy. Other lawmakers in India have also expressed concerns around the potential misuse of crypto for laundering money and, of course, financing terrorism efforts, because that's what we do. Ever since we came down out of the trees, we immediately started financing terrorism. Despite this, more and more Indians are beginning to get on the crypto train. Several Bollywood stars have even promoted cryptocurrency trading in recent weeks. In March, the Indian government considered a law banning cryptocurrencies, fining anyone trading in the country or even holding such digital assets. However, from the meeting yesterday, the government is planning progressive and forward-looking measures on issues related to cryptocurrencies. The move is a departure from his earlier attempts to restrict the use of digital assets. And earlier this month, a high-profile Indian politician reportedly said that the country would introduce laws that would welcome innovation around blockchain technology. Um, Chainalysis announced that India had ranked second in the Global Cryptocurrency Adoption Index. According to the data, India's crypto market has grown 641% over the past year. According to local news, the Saturday meeting was on the way forward for cryptocurrency and related issues. There were also discussions regarding how to stop non-transparent advertisements that mislead young investors. Quote, it was strongly felt that attempts to mislead the youth through over-promising and non-transparent advertising be stopped, the government sources said. Okay, so look, guys, you know, the, in one way, they're absolutely correct. Shit coinery will get you wrecked, right? We know that there are like platforms out there that are nefarious as hell. They've been with us forever. They're going to be with us forever. They are non-transparent and they do overpromise and they do underdeliver to the tune of rug pulls, right? I don't think that that shit should be going on either. However, I don't believe that they give flying fuck one about the youth of India here. I think that they are about to flip-flop on their original stance of uh, like basically saying it's okay for Bitcoin. It, it, that, cause that's what they did. And I think they did that last month. Right. And now here we are again with India's prime minister and a whole bunch of people yelling about how it's corrupting the youth, just like Socrates did. And here we all are again. Keep your eyes on this because this is a potential source of FUD. We don't have to worry about China anymore. Now we're going to be worried about Russia and India FUD. That's the way that I see it. Now let's see here. Horizon Kinetics to launch new Bitcoin mining business. 
This is out of Blockworks. Jacqueline Melenic is writing it. Uh, investment management firm Horizon Kinetics is set to launch a new mining company in the coming weeks as investors are clamoring for more exposure to Bitcoin. Chief Operating Officer Alun Williams told Blockworks in an interview, Founded back in 1994, the firm has roughly $7 billion under asset management. Um, according to James Davalos, portfolio manager and research analyst at Horizon Kinetics, Horizon Kinetics started its first mining company, HK Cryptocurrency Mining, back in 2017 through an initial capital raise of $5 million. The funding came from its direct traditional and asset management clients, as well as other principals and partners at the firm, Williams said. Quote, that company was started to really learn the infrastructure behind our direct investments in Bitcoin, he noted. And further quote, we felt that we really couldn't understand Bitcoin without understanding mining as well because they are so closely tied to each other, end quote. The company became a good profitable position at the time, Williams said, but some clients who didn't invest in 2017 were curious and eager for other opportunities to put money in. Horizon Kinetics formed a second company, HK Cryptocurrency Mining 2, in 2018. It was capitalized with roughly $8.5 million. Quote, over that time, we were very slow and deliberate with our deployment of the capital, purchasing rigs and entering into hosting contact or contracts, he said. Investors began clamoring for a bit more and we felt like the industry was maturing and there was an opportunity there to take these two mining companies and do something bigger with them, he said. The company is set to combine both companies under one new business called Consensus Mining and Seniorage Corporation, Williams said. Oh, that's a bad word for this space, bro. I just, oh man, whatever. Horizon Kinetics' current project has three phases merging the two companies together, raising additional capital from direct existing clients and subsequently doing a direct listing with OTC Markets, Williams said. Quote, with a direct listing, no shares will be tradable for maybe 12 months, but the idea is to give the value to all those investors in terms of any potential market multiple as well as give them liquidity, Williams said. Quote, it's an exciting time for us and we see many other companies recently going public, he added, but we operate in a very different way and in a very deliberate and methodical deployment of our capital to make sure we're not putting our investors' capital at risk, but also improving and growing it over time. The company plans to build its hash rate and replace it over time as older equipment becomes less profitable or breaks down. It is currently running a few thousand Bitcoin miners, but will look for opportunities to add more, said Kevin McRae, Horizon Kinetics Director of Technology and Chief Information Officer. In the near term, the business plans to, oh, to finalize capital commitments for the launch and hopes to raise between 40 and $60 million from clients and partners, Williams said. Industry watchers have generally viewed the China mining exodus as a positive for the U.S. cryptocurrency mining industry. Beijing's crackdown on the country's industry has led to a flood of miners landing and operating in the United States. In October, data from the University of Cambridge showed that the U.S. overtook China as the world's leader in Bitcoin mining networks with an average monthly hash rate share of 35.4% by July of 2021. 
Quote, with all the land we have here in the United States, Bitcoin can be a tremendous offload for solar and wind power, which is just wasted in so many other markets. I think the U.S. grid, the way our grid functions and the way it's evolving is uniquely situated to really benefit from crypto as an offload for the intermittent power, Davalo said. Many clients who mine Bitcoin <clears throat> have moved to North America following regulatory clampdowns. Cynthia Wu, founding partner at Max Matrix Port, told Blockworks in October. Although there will be challenges in the environment from bear markets to chip shortages, the space is an interesting opportunity and will be profitable long term, Williams said. Quote, the U.S., when you compare it to other countries, is a very welcoming place to do this business, he added. The industry itself is growing significantly here, and the U.S. wants to embrace mining as an industry and take part of that. All right. Okay, you know what? What's really odd about the statements made from Davalos, which I guess is the chief operating office. No, that that's Al, Alan Williams. Who's Davalos? Uh, God, hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, portfolio manager and research analyst. So the statements that Davalos has made in this piece, these quotes, I honestly, it you know what was weird is that it didn't raise any hackles on the back of my head. Usually when these guys start talking, they they have this tendency to to use suit speak. And I didn't really hear a whole shitload of that. I actually heard somebody that maybe, maybe he knows what the hell he's talking about. So it may be worth your while to keep your eye on Horizon Kinetics because they are going to combine two mining businesses into one and we'll see where that goes. But for right now, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's Monday. Can't let you go without a joke. My neighbors listen to great music, whether they like it or not. <laughs> yeah, I lost my uh, lost my sound effect for this morning. I'll have to figure that one out later in either event. Um, I was, even though that I didn't do a whole lot of, uh, uh, well, actually didn't do any podcasts for like the last week and a half uh, because of the shit show I was having to go through. I did record a podcast as a guest uh, with The Meme Factory. If you want to go listen to that, um, I tweeted it out. I may tweet it out again uh, sometime after I get this show up. But uh, it was a good it was a good long hour. Uh, the guys over at The Meme Factory were wonderful. I felt like I felt really welcomed as a guest. And I had so much I had I had probably as much fun, if not slightly more fun than being a guest on any other podcast that I've done. And that's not to be a slight against the people that whose shows that I've been on. It's just that when you're hanging out with Greg Zaj, when you're hanging out with Yellow, and when you're hanging out with the rest of the memers that really understand how how memes are made and, and how they're propagated, man, it was a lot of fun. And we talked about soil. We talked about regenerative agriculture. We talked about the collision between Bitcoin and those worlds and how it really is going to save the planet, whether the people at Davos want it to or not. But with all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.